Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Well, a really warm welcome to our church, to our guests this morning, whether you're uh, watching live or catching up, whether you're in the UK or overseas, you're really welcome with us at Living Rock Church. We're in a series in the book of Numbers called Make Your Life Count. And last week I shared from Numbers chapter 1. And today I want to build upon some of those things with a second part to this message Uh, So I'll just first of all recap some of the key points that I shared last week, although I really encourage you to watch the uh, video if you've not seen it yet, and then I'll build upon those. Really, the whole book of Numbers, the, the whole story of Numbers is a journey, about a journey of God's people towards the promised land. The land is the ever present goal in the book. And uh, the central moment of the book is in, is in chapters 13 and 14, where God's people get a chance to spy out the land and make a terrible choice, and we'll come on to much more of that later in the series, and the consequences of that decision. But the two bookends of the book are the two censuses that are counted, the first in chapter 1 and the second in chapter 26, the census, the count of God's people before they spy out the land, and then in consequence of that, the count again towards the end of the book. And the first 10 chapters of Numbers all take place around Mount Sinai, where God's people have already been for about 10 months, but they spend another three weeks there, during which God gives them the commandments and the laws and promises them again that he will take them into this land that he's promised them. So chapter 1 Um, really records for us the first census that's taken. I want us to read again and be reminded of the first few verses of this chapter. So Numbers 1, verses 1 to 3. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the wilderness of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year after Israel's departure from the land of Egypt. Take a census of the entire Israelite community by their clans and their ancestral houses, counting the names of every male one by one. You and Aaron are to register those who are 20 years old or more by their military divisions, everyone who can serve in Israel's army. And most of the rest of this first chapter is the record of how they carried out that count, how they counted all the names, how they counted 603,550 men aged 20 or more who were able to serve in the army. And last week I took three great big takeaways from that opening chapter. So let me just uh, kind of summarize and recap those things again. The first was that all these men over 20 were counted by name, one by one by name. And, And as I said last week, you'd think that with so many to count, such a vast army to be counted, it would be, it would be the quickest, most efficient sort of head count that you could imagine. But this is far more personal. God instructs that they be counted by name. And I took from that the fact that our, our God is a father, not a statistician, that he loves us, that he knows us by name, and that we all fit somewhere in his, uh, in his army. We didn't go into chapter two, but you'll see when we get there that um, not just their names, but where they were positioned, where they were camped, who they were next to, who they were alongside really mattered, and it still matters today. The second 
big takeaway from last week was that every one of them was qualified to serve. They were to count those aged 20 or more who were able to serve in the army. And as I said last week, this is therefore much more than a head count. It's much more than a population estimate. It's much more than a name check, of course. This is, this is the assembly of an army being assembled to go into the land and to drive out God's enemies so that God's people can settle in the land he's promised them. And as I said, I believe, I believe God's heart cry to us all is still, who can I send? Who will go for us? But the truth is we are all qualified to serve. In those days, it was men aged 20 or more qualified to be in the army. But today, it's men and women, it's boys and girls, it's all ages, all of God's people are qualified to serve. I said that in these days we're in, there is a thief who wants to immobilize the church, who wants to get us to focus on what we can't do, wants to get us to uh, begin to grumble and moan about all the things that are wrong and things that can't, we can't do at this time. But in actual fact, nothing has really changed in terms of who we are. The nature, the identity, and the mission of God's people has not, one, has not changed one iota. And it's time for us to be on the offensive. It's time for us to know that we're still his body. We're still his bride. We're still his family. We're still his dwelling place. And we're still the army of God. We're still filled with his Holy Spirit. We still have the full armor of God. We still have weapons that can demolish strongholds. And we still have a great commission. We're all still qualified to serve. And we're all qualified to serve in our own special way. Ephesians 4.16 is a great verse. And when you read it in the New Living Translation, it talks about everybody in the church, everybody in the body of Christ, everybody in the army having their own special work to do. That is true for us, folks. We have our own special work, whether it's outworked in our workplace or in our community or in our school or college or university or wherever God has placed us, wherever we spend our time, we have special work to do. And the third big takeaway, the tragedy, the elephant in the room as we read these opening chapters, as we see this army being assembled, as we see all these men aged 20 or more being registered, and made ready for all that God has got for them. The great big tragedy that's about to unfold is that although these 603,550 men, plus their wives, plus their children, were all counted out of Egypt, only two of them made it into Canaan. They all died in the desert. It's one of the saddest things in the Bible that these, these people, this generation who were who were called and, and prepared and readied and, and all set up by God to go into all that he'd promised them, all chose to stay in the wilderness, to stay in, in what was by no means God's best for them. And so the census, the, the counting, the list of all the names becomes effectively a list of the dead and the dying because in consequence of their rebellion, their mistrust in, of God, they are forced to stay in the desert, stay in the wilderness for another 38 years until the whole of that generation, everybody aged 20 or more, has died. And then another generation arises, and then they can go in, hence the second census. I said last week, and I just want to say again, 
God's purposes will always prevail. He will always, he will always find a people to outwork his purpose, even if he has to wait for another generation. And I just don't want him to have to ever look elsewhere. I don't want him to ever have to look elsewhere for somebody to perform the, the, the task and to enter into the purpose that he has for me and that he has for us. Let's decide that we will never choose our comfort over our calling. We'll never choose what's routine over what's radical. And we'll never choose what's mundane over what is our mission. So we took those three big points from the chapter. And then I um, shared with you last week a very specific prophetic word that God had spoken to the elders and wives and Deborah and myself when we were gathered together last month. And the, 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 Lord, the Lord said to us that we were to ensure God's people don't go into hibernation. As we enter these colder months, it's natural for some creatures to um, curl up, to hibernate, to find a cozy place to shut themselves away in order, in order to conserve their energy by not moving, by closing their eyes, and to go to sleep for weeks or even months. But the Lord said, we must be sure we don't hibernate. We're not some of those creatures. It's not natural for us to do that. And it's vital that we don't adopt a mindset of wandering in the wilderness or camping when we shouldn't be camping, and certainly not of hibernating or of waiting for something to return to some kind of so-called normal when God wants us in this season to be moving powerfully and purposefully. And so I ended last week by sharing several ways in which you and I can count ourselves in, can avoid hibernating, can get moving, play our part, serve in the army. I talked about making a, a big effort to call somebody different every day and encourage them to stay connected wherever we can, whether that's in person or online to stir up the gifts of the Spirit, all of which are absolutely vital in these days, to join us as we welcome new members, which will be happening now next Sunday, to join in weekly prayer and fasting, which will begin on Tuesday of this coming week, and to know that you're made for mission and let that overflow in your daily life or by investing and in being involved in some of the many initiatives that we have planned as a church or indeed by letting us know of creative ideas you have to uh, be stirred and move in mission and that we can support you in or encourage you in or possibly even resource you in. So a, an email of those details I hope has, has, has been received already with some of those times and dates in it. So now against that backdrop, against that summary, that backdrop of what we looked at in Numbers last week, I want to just spend the rest of this time this morning in describing some attributes, some characteristics, some features, some qualities of our church and indeed of any church that I believe will be vital for us if we are to thrive in these times. And the first of them is this, we must be alert. We must be alert because we are living in days of extraordinary opportunity, and we must not miss the moment. In our lifetimes, in our lifetimes, in my lifetime certainly, this is an unprecedented global crisis and turmoil that we're living in, with a world that's never been so uncertain or confused or anxious. 
or fearful or indeed divided, and of leaders in, in the nations who clearly have no answers. Everything that can be shaken is being shaken, as Hebrews 12 talks about, or at least some of the things that can be shaken are being shaken. And we will see further upheavals. We will see further shakings. And a cry of help, a cry for help, is arising and will get louder. And I believe whatever the source or the, or the root or the cause of this pandemic, God will use it for his purposes and his glory. And we must be alert to what's happening in our day and to this extraordinary opportunity it brings to us. Secondly, we must be confident that we really do have answers, that Jesus really is enough for everybody, that Jesus is all-sufficient, that he alone saves and heals and restores and transforms, that the kingdom of God really is God's total answer to mankind's total need, that our gospel is power, not just words. This is rubber hits the road time. And the greatest investment I believe we can make right now is in the word. We, um, we dwell, let the word dwell richly inside us. We spend time in God's word. We, we spend time getting to know the word and getting to know the God of the word. Time spent in the word and time spent in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, becoming more and more intimate with him, stirring up the gifts he gives us, moving and, and, and letting the fruit that he brings into our lives develop and, and get stronger and richer. We must spend now not only being confident in our gospel, but getting ready now in the word, in the spirit for all that's coming. The third characteristic I believe that's essential in these days, if our church is to thrive, is that we must be ourselves. We must be who and what we are. Our formats, our gatherings may change, but as I said in my recap, our nature and our mission is unchanging. We are still God's body, his family, his dwelling place on the earth, his army, and his bride. And that, I believe, is everything the world needs. Functioning relationships, brothers, sisters, dads and mums, friends. The dynamic presence of God, the power of God, hope for the future. And I believe whilst everything else is uncertain and changing, the church is here to be certain and unchanging. We must be ourselves. We must be who we really are. We must be who we still are, what we still are. And then fourthly, I believe we must be flexible. Maybe it goes without saying that if we want to thrive in the future, we must be flexible. We must embrace whatever new wineskins the Holy Spirit wants to give us. Things have changed, many things have changed, and some things won't change back again. But we can be flexible 
because we're secure, because we serve an unchanging God, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But in our security now, we must be flexible. We must uh, not get wedded to the past. We must not be uh, upset if things move and shift and change a bit. We must be flexible. And then we must be missionaries. Because this is one of the greatest opportunities ever for the church to function as God has always intended. Being outward bound, not building bound. Being mission focused, not meeting focused. With every member fulfilled and fully functioning and outworking our special tasks, our unique work, our special callings, our individual burdens and callings using our individual gifts and talents. Every member on a mission, everyone turned outwards and carrying life and hope into our multiple mission fields, our workplaces, our communities, our colleges, our schools. This is a, this is a great dream of mine and I know a great longing of the Lord that the church would function the way he always intended. And I want to say you have a special task, special work. Don't write yourself off. Don't count yourself out. As I said last week, you can recover from bad choices in the past. You can, you can be fully counted in. We'd love to pray with you if that's the case. You can do it. Don't retreat. There's a place here for you. Then next, I believe, we must be united and must make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, keep our unity, and don't let, let me say this, let's not let fatigue breed frustration or grumbling. Everyone's doing their best. Let's stay together. Let's get stronger. Let's call one another. Let's connect with one another frequently. Let's look for opportunities to strengthen one another. I've said this before, but I'm, I'm so encouraged to see throughout the book of Acts that the apostles spend so much time just simply and deliberately and intentionally, sometimes traveling hundreds of miles to do it, just to strengthen the churches. It wasn't all about initiating new things. It wasn't all about new projects. It wasn't always about new places. So much time is spent strengthening the churches. And that's a tremendous activity for us to be involved in in these times. Staying together, staying united, strengthening one another. We must guard our unity. Vital in these days. I believe we must guard our marriages. Husbands, love your wives. People that love one another and are harmonious and, and stay together stand out in the world. And these are days for us to stand out. And then we must be courageous because we've never been this way before. But we needn't be fearful. We must take confidence. God's encouragement to us is be strong and courageous. We can be at peace. We can be secure. We have a fantastic team of elders and wives and a growing team of ministries and dozens of brilliant people who serve and lead us in various ways. And I know they will do all they can to lead you and to lead us 
into the very, very best that God has for us. Let's be courageous. And then I want to say, and I'm drawing to a close now, we must be expansive. We must be expansive. I believe the coming months and years will be, can be, must be, will be a time of major expansion for our church base and for our apostolic involvement and sphere. As our joinings, as our family of churches multiplies in this nation and in nations. We're here to be what we've described in the past as an Antioch church, a church which builds up and branches out, a church which sends uh, people and encouragement and resources and gifts and ministries. Our vision has always been, and I want to say it again, from the heart of the nation to the ends of the earth. We must be expansive. And all that we have in our heart and vision will require an expanded eldership and an expanded leadership and the recognition of other gifts. And I'm so grateful that God is raising up, even as I speak, men and women for such a day as this. And these things, these expansions, will be a vital next step in giving our church what we need to keep us secure and cared for and outward bound. We must be expansive. We must be awake into all this situation. God has spoken a, a specific, a simple, a straightforward word. Don't hibernate. We need to hear this, not as a criticism in any way, but as the heart of a loving father longing to see us available and involved in all that he's doing. So let's do the opposite of hibernating. Let's activate. Let's be awake. Let's wake up. Let's stir up the gifts, the ministry, the calls, the burdens that we're carrying. Let's emerge in this time. Let every one of us step up, step forward, and let our light shine. Let's not hibernate. Let's be awake. And finally, to say this, we must be praying. Because all that's happening in this day may just be a prelude to a major move of God. Although we've read about it, although we've prayed about it, although we've dreamt about it, most of us have never actually lived in a time of sustained revival when God intervenes and His Holy Spirit is outpoured in a way that sweeps multitudes of people into His kingdom that cannot be shaken. I believe that's where we're heading. I think these characteristics of Let me just find my page of being alert, of being confident, of being ourselves, of being flexible, of being missionaries, of being united and courageous and expansive and awake and praying. I believe these characteristics against that backdrop of a people called out who never made it in, of God wanting to uh, fulfill his purpose and of us saying, God, don't look elsewhere. 
I believe these characteristics are going to be vital as we go forwards. I think our church is amazing. I believe our lives do count. I know they do. I think we can be all he wants us to be. I believe this is our time. And I think God wants to make sure we don't wander or camp anywhere for too long, but we enter into his promises and we don't miss anything that he's got for us. I hope you can receive this word today. I want to pray a blessing over us in a moment, but I just want to say God bless you this week in all that you're involved in. May the word of God dwell in you richly. In number six, it says this. Let me pray this over you. The Lord spoke to Moses. Tell Aaron and his sons how you're to bless the people. Say to them, may God bless you and protect you. May God make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May God look with favor on you and give you peace. And in this way, they will pronounce my name over God's people and I will bless them. Be blessed, church. Have a brilliant week. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.